Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. And this week, we are joined by two very special guests coming back from the overstated NBA show. Brett Usher and Jacob Birkenshaw are back with us. Boys, we had quite the draft night flurry of trades, surprising picks, especially after about pick 15. Um, things certainly took some interesting turns. How are you boys feeling? Are you guys ready to dive into some of this talk? Oh, absolutely, man. Happy to be here. Thank you for for having us back on. Um, it's always good to talk to you, especially about about this stuff, man. You know, you know way more about it than than I do. And uh, you know, I always learn something talking to you, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So, absolutely ready. Yeah, this is um, having to do this like two days after the drafts happened has kind of forced me to really dig into all the trades because so much happened on the night i've been spending the last two days just trying to catch up with all the trades who's on which team now you know what where is everyone what tra- what picks are with who now it's 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 been a crazy couple of nights and while we've been doing this while we record this it's going to get even crazier probably yeah so anybody out there who's listening to this podcast we are recording this on friday the start of nba free agency is about in 35 minutes so it's about 5 25 eastern time right now so um if there's any breaking news kevin has been tasked with um interrupting us stopping us we will talk about that breaking news and how it possibly relates to the nba landscape as a whole as well as um who knows it could it could very well intercept any of the draft talk that that comes up as well depending on um, what picks, et cetera, might get moved. So, um, Kevin, are you, or do you have the Twitter ready to go for us? Yep. Have it all ready to go. Beautiful. So, um, I want to, I want to hop right in and Jacob, I'm glad you mentioned that point. I, I think it's, it's best to be recording a full reaction pod or a reaction style pod uh, a day or two after so that that way we can kind of process everything that happened. Because when you go through not only just the trades, but also just making 60 draft picks, in general that's a lot of information team context to really process before you can even start talking about a lot of free agency stuff which i'm sure you guys are going to dive deep into the the free agency talk this weekend for anybody who hasn't already subscribed to their show the overstated nba show find it on any major podcasting platform um these are two of my favorite guys to have on we we talk so much in their facebook group as well if you haven't joined the overstated nba facebook group absolutely look them up please do so because we are chatting about basketball quite literally all all day long i think i i think i pretty much fell asleep with my facebook on the last night we were talking about so much basketball. So, um, but let's let's hop right into it, guys. So, I, I guess the biggest story that we have to start with is everything that's happened to the Golden State Warriors over the last few days. Obviously, news broke just before the draft that that Clay Thompson was going to be medically evaluated um, for an injury that he suffered. I, I, I guess we we know playing pickup basketball. That's that's pretty much the gist that I've gotten on the injury, and it's been confirmed that he's. Um, torn his right Achilles, so he is going to be out for this upcoming season. Now, that didn't affect Golden State um, heading into the draft, and they still made the selection for the guy I think they really wanted all along, which was James Wiseman at, at second overall. And now we we get the news that Kelly Oubre is likely joining the fold. Um, so sources are confirming that they've pretty much moved in a trade with the Oklahoma City Thunder to get Oubre. Um, they're going to absorb them into that trade exception um, that that's been created now for in exchange for I believe a, a protected top twenty protected was the last I saw um, twenty twenty one first round pick so um, Brett I'll, I'll start with you 
what what's kind of like your your overall reaction to everything that's happened with Golden State over the last few days, and and what's maybe like your your biggest takeaway or surprise or um, given everything that happened, did did every is everything kind of playing out how you thought it would? Man, I mean, first of all, what a bummer! Like for him to for Clay to miss the entire 2019-20 season work his way all the way back from an ACL, which is something I've had to do myself twice. I, I mean, I know what that requires just for me. I can't imagine for an NBA player, the work mm-hmm. that he put in, and then he's right there about to come back, about to start playing again. And he tears his Achilles and now he's out for another year. And it, it's just, it's, it's so brutal. I mean, I, I posted about this in our Facebook group, like how many guys have missed two full seasons, like two full actual seasons and come back and, and played. And, and the only people anybody could come up with was Bill Walton, Greg Oden, and Joel Embiid. And that's just, that was his first two seasons. He was very young, you know, Clay's into his thirties now. So, I mean, not saying he won't be able to come back and be an effective player, but that is a long time. I don't think right now we can really fathom how just how long that is but by the, i think by the time he does finally come back it's gonna have felt like an eternity so just absolutely heartbreaking from that standpoint um like you said it did not affect who they drafted uh, mm-hmm. i know that he, he did seem like the guy they wanted all along wiseman and I, I know you had him there in your mock draft i selected him when when you were on our podcast in the mock draft so that always seemed like the logical pick for them but i do think the clay injury changed things and um i would have liked to seen them um to add a guard you know whether it was look lamello i think you know we can all agree probably has the highest upside of the guards that they realistically could have selected there but at the same time he probably wouldn't have helped them too much right away i i really liked halliburton as a fit and i think they you know it sounds like they tried to move down at least a couple spots and and i wonder if halliburton was the guy that they were looking at especially with that bulls trade moving down to four um, I mean, I, I still like the Wiseman fit. It still makes a lot of sense, but I just wonder if, you know, they might need another guard still, even with the Ubre addition. Um, you know, so, and, and as far as that, I, I love Ubre. Uh, he's one of my, my personal favorite NBA players. I love the energy he brings. I've watched a lot of Phoenix Suns games last year. Uh, and, and he always stood out, you know, every time I really fell in love with his game last year and just his energy and, and, and the way he interacted with the crowd, all that stuff. And, you know, I think because he wasn't there in the bubble and they had so much success without him, people kind of forget how important he was to that team, but that sort of improved culture and chemistry and energy that carried them through the bubble to an eight, no record Kelly Oubre helped build that. And I think it's important to remember that. And, And hopefully he can bring some of that to golden state and, um, you know, he, he he's going to be an excellent defensive player for them. He's going to bring a lot of energy. He can knock down threes. I think it's a good fit, but I do think they need another guard. Yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely still going to have to make, I guess what would amount to be like a slight move or two. Um, and, and, and Jacob, I know for anyone listening, obviously you, you guys remember that Jacob's a big numbers guy. He's also a big team context and team fit guy. Um, so, so I'll leave it to you. Jacob, to go into a little bit about your thoughts regarding the Kelly Oubre fit in Golden State's lineup, along with adding James Wiseman, do you do you think that was a good guy to go after? And and I guess given the luxury tax bill, the Warriors are gonna have to pay now absorbing um, that that Oubre contract into the trade exception and how much that jumps the number up. 
do, do you really think there there's another move out there to be made, or do you think they're going to have to rely on some of those guards that that they still have waiting in the wings for for more opportunity, um, like Pool, like Kai Bowman? Um, well, how, how do you see Golden State operating with these moves that they've made? Before you do that, though, well, let me hop in real yeah. quick. We already, like, we already have breaking news? Yep, already a breaking news. Uh, appear that Bogdan Bogdanovich is expected to find an offer sheet with the Atlanta Hawks. Oh, wow. That was that was my pick for him. I yeah. I, I had a feeling. Um, did Is there a number out there? There's no number yet, but I'll keep my eyes open. Thank you. Wow. 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 So oh if, if anyone was watching earlier today and kind of up through the, the point where we're actually recording this show, um, again, where we're clocking in here just before 6 Eastern time, the official start of free agency, um, Vince Carter's been on the, the jump ESPN special that they've been doing since, since 4 Eastern time. Um, he pretty much said that the Hawks are confident that they're going to get two um, key rotational players um, especially shooters out of this free agent class. Bogdan was obviously a name in there. Danilo Gallinari has been rumored to them. Um, Rajon Rondo has been rumored to them. So they're, they're confident they're going to pull in a few big pieces to join um, Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, Brett, you, you're ecstatic. That was your, that was your pick with the fit. What, 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 what do you think? How do you think he's going to contribute right away? Yes. Yeah, if, if they don't match the offer sheet. If, <laughs> if Sacramento's I, well, I see. I, I think it all, it all sort of fits together. Um, you know, we'll, we'll obviously get into their, their draft, which I think was really exciting, uh, especially yes. for, for Kings fans. But, but with that backcourt rotation that they have now with Halliburton healed and Fox, I think bogey would kind of be the odd man out. Um, so I, I don't think they're going to match past a certain point. Uh, and just, you know, with the way that everything's gone down with him so far, I, I think he's gone. And it's just a question of how much Atlanta's going to pay him. I, I mean, I think 17, 18 million is probably realistic. Uh, but <clears throat> I just, I love him as a fit on that team. I think he's exactly what they need. And we talked about this on our podcast when I had Halliburton going to them in the mock draft is like just a secondary ball handler, creator, somebody to take some pressure off Trey, move him off ball at times. Um, and, and, you know, we, we've talked about Herter as well. Like we, we had this conversation, but I think um, that that's where he really helps them. He, he just makes them a little more dynamic offensively. And I, I think he will end up going there. I, I don't think Sacramento's going to match unless it's, you know, it's a very reasonable offer. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to match. Actually, I was going through a kind of a free agency big boards, making a kind of big board. Bogdan Bogdanovich was one of my top three, and he's already gone. So top yeah, three, one top three free agents, you know, restricted, um, unrestricted, and guys that we don't know if they're going to confirm or take or reject their player offers, their player options at this point. Yeah, it was top three: him, Gallo, and Fred Van Vliet. Top three, which just tells you how how stacked this free agency class is. <laughs> it's solid i mean it's 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 kind of like the draft in a way like you know it's like the, it's a little shaky like toward the top like is fred van vliet and christian wood and all these guys really going to be worth that money but then when you get deeper down into it it's like okay there's some really quality players out there so uh, i'm, I'm I, I love bogey though as a player i think he's awesome uh, he, he's a yeah. great offensive player so that's exciting very exciting i think it's great i think it does move your boy nathan your boy kevin Hurt. i think he's got to be taking the sixth man role uh, so yeah. I, I want that for him because I want it gives him I think more freedom to run the offense during those minutes Trey's not on the floor and I, I like that because I think he's got quite a bit to his game offensively but he's not really going to be able to use that I think with Trey because Trey is such a heliocentric offensive player 
and he Kevin Hurter can't really demand that kind of you know offensive load when you've got someone like Trey, whereas I think someone like Bogdan Bogdanovic can demand that load because of you know how he's he's in his prime right now. He's a maturity so well rounded offensively. I, I like the move. I think it's a great, great move for Atlanta. And I'm solidly I'm I don't know if I'm gonna pen them in, but I'm writing in a very thick pencil there <laughs> into the playoffs this year. You guys really don't think Rondo would go there, do you? You guys don't actually think that. I think he wants the money. Well, or does he want the role? Uh, it, it, I mean, look, yeah, Atlanta, I, I would probably be with you on that, Jacob. And we've talked about this as well. Like, I, I think they probably are the favorite for the eight seed right now in the East, in my opinion. But, you know, that this is a guy that's coming off a championship and has won multiple championships now. And, uh, yeah, Atlanta's got a lot of interest in him, but I, I'm not sure that interest is mutual. I think if they offered him enough money, he could probably talk himself into it. Um, but I think that's probably going to be the, the determining factor. And I think he would prefer to go to a better team. I've always thought the Clippers made more sense for Rondo. Uh, yeah, I, c- I could definitely see him going there. And I think he's he's exactly what they need. They don't really have a point guard. So, I mean, in Atlanta, he's, he's the backup. He's what Jeff Teague was. You know, he's playing behind Trey Young. So I, I don't. I don't think that in itself appeals too much to him. That, that's what I was just going to bring up is that in that the Hawks brought in a what I would consider to be a very high profile backup in, in, in Jeff Teague. And how happy was, was Jeff Teague having to play behind Trey Young, given the amount of minutes that Trey is obviously going to play? He's going to clock in between somewhere between 34 to 36 minutes a game if he's healthy. Um, when if you play Trey next to another point guard. Um, at, at least from the basketball that I got to see of Atlanta last year, I didn't really see um, them being very creative in terms of using Trey enough off the ball and kind of like how you've seen Steph Curry be used in Golden Santa. I think that's something that needs to be explored more and probably would be explored more if they brought in somebody like Rondo. But yeah, I just, I just don't know how happy somebody like Rondo would, would, would be coming into that situation, knowing that he's probably not going to be in title contention anymore. Does he really at this point want to take up a mentorship role, given that he just played some pretty incredible basketball this past postseason? Or, I mean, I, I just, I just don't think he'd be happy with that. I know sometimes the, the, the money speaks for itself, but I just, I don't think that ultimately would make him happy, but I mean, we, well, we, we, we don't know Rondo. So I guess we, we no. can't really talk for him, but. And I, and I wonder though, if, if, if some of that interest on the part of Atlanta has dwindled a bit, if, if Bogdanovich is, is really going to be coming there. I mean, a lot of what he offers is, I mean, he can run a little bit of point. Essentially he can be a pick and roll ball handler. I think he can do a lot of what they would have wanted Rondo to do. So I think maybe he was plan a, and then like Rondo and like an, a, a, maybe a, a four or something was like plan B. So I think they probably got their guy. I mean, I feel like, like we probably, I don't know, maybe at least a, a couple months ago on our podcast did like a, um, or I guess it was like the delete eight off season preview we did, but I remember saying that Bogdanovich would be a nice fit there. And and I think it's just made sense the whole time. It's been talked about mm-hmm. a lot. And I think, I think they got their guy and, and maybe, maybe now they don't have as much interest in a guy like Rondo. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, Jacob, what were what were your kind of thoughts that you were prepared to say about um, Golden State before we got bombed by the, the Boston <laughs> news? That's bomb. It's not even we're like twenty minutes before free agency opens, and we're already being bombed by Woj. This is it's not fair. Oh, I can't <laughs> I can't wait for about twenty minutes from now. I can't I can't wait <laughs> to see how many times we're going to get interrupted, but it, it's all in good fun. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's perfect time to record, really, just to get those live reactions. But but one thing I 
did the silver lining to the clay situation. The wording was tear, not rupture. And as I understand yes. it, the wording the wording is important there because rupture is a full tear, and a tear is anywhere like there's grades to this. There's you know from a tiny partial tear up to up to a full tear when it becomes a rupture. So the wording gives me hope that because KD's was a rupture, KD's was full. You know the Achilles is completely severed. So we don't know the severity of Clay's. I mean we can assume no matter what it's an Achilles. Clay, as we know him, is probably gone. I think his level of defense that he could bring is not going to be there again, not only because of the injuries, but because, you know, we last time we saw him, he was like 28, 29. Next time we see him, he could be 31 or 32. It's, you know, that's, that's really the tipping point for a lot of these great defenders on the perimeter. I, I, I think it's, you have to be looking to go in a different direction now from Clay because Unfortunately, he's going to become one of the worst contracts in the league going forward. And it's, it's horrible to say because it's Clay. Clay has his own religion built around him. That's how awesome he is. But it's it's just, yeah, it's just such a shitty situation because he's such a likable guy. I remember I was watching um, the ACL uh, from the finals where he tears the ACL. Um, then he comes back out. Then they go and get him as he's walking. He comes back out, shoots the free throws and then runs back on defense. And yeah. I've forgotten the run back on defense bit. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And then Draymond's just like grabbing him, getting him off the floor. And I was like, oh man, it couldn't have happened to you know a better guy than Clay. But with that being said, I think they would have signed Wiseman and Oubre anyway. I think actually, interestingly, it was the white, when um, I listened to your first podcast, I believe, your top five big boards, and you gave a Wiseman scouting report was actually what sold me on Wiseman to the Warriors as a kind of perfect fit. So it's come full circle now. I get to talk about them actually signing Wiseman on your podcast. But um, I love the fit with Wiseman. I think it's a perfect place for him. I actually think basically any of the top draft picks, Golden State is a perfect situation just because of the intelligence of the franchise, mm -hmm. how they can develop someone in the right situation because they have such an intelligent staff, they have such an intelligent front office, they have such intelligent players. I don't think there's anyone better as a superstar you can learn how to really lead a team from than someone like Steph, who's so unselfish. So I think that's that's a perfect situation for Wiseman. Ubre, I think they would have signed him anyway. I think it's a good fit. He's high energy. He is he's an he's a okay shooter. He's okay defender. He's pretty good. I like him more than Wiggins, though I think Wiggins has more upside in their system. In terms of guards, yeah, they, they need to be looking to sign someone because who is their starting two guard right now? Like Damian Lee? I guess I it's Wiggins. I, I think it has yeah. to be Wiggins, yeah. right? What do you guys think about Jordan Poole as a starter? All right, now look, I know he had a rough rookie season um, in a lot of ways, especially if you look at the, the numbers, uh, pretty much all of them. But I see something in that kid. Like, I, I think he's I think he's going to be a player. He plays with almost like a similar enthusiasm to a guy like Ubre. Like, he just has fun out there. Um, I actually like like his build. I, I like I like his jump shot. I mean, like he was in a really tough situation last year, right? Like when, when he was on the court, he was just kind of asked to be that knockdown shooter, almost like that clay. 
Uh, and and I mean, that was that's just too much to ask for for a rookie on that team. But you put some players around him and I think he could be pretty effective. And, and I think the likelihood is that he's a couple years away from being a real contributor. But now without Clay in a pinch, I, I just wonder if if Ubre wouldn't be better off the bench and you maybe you start Wiggins at the three because Ubre when Ubre was coming off the bench for Phoenix, he was really effective. And, and I really like him in that role. And it's like you you almost want to have one of your best five coming off the bench, uh, especially in that situation. And we'll see what other moves they make. But I just wonder, because we had talked about, like, would, would it be Damian Lee or, or who else could start at the two? And I mean, what about Jordan Poole? He can shoot. He can definitely shoot the ball. He's very competitive. Uh, he plays with a lot of effort. So that was just something I wanted to throw out there. I'm probably higher on him than just about anybody. Um, but but I, I, I almost kind of like that fit. I'd be curious to to see what he would be like in, a, in sort of a clay role and then maybe have Ubre as your sixth man because I think Ubre is an excellent sixth man. What I will say about Jordan Poole is that um, during his freshman campaign at Michigan, when, when I was doing draft work, none of the other scouts I was working with wanted to rank him as a prospect within a top 60. I had a second round grade on him after his freshman season, despite some of the inconsistencies he showed in that season, because I bought the shooting touch. I bought the potential long-term. And even though when, when we were talking about rankings at the time, we were talking about who are maybe some better upperclassmen fits that can come in and contribute more to a team right away. I was like, yeah, but I, I, I think I'm right in seeing something with this kid. And if I do see that much from him that I think he has absolute like role player potential down the road, if not more, if not starting potential, why am I not giving him a second round grade at that time? Why am I not looking to spend a draft pick on him and bring him in to my development program? So you, you don't got to sell me on Jordan Poole, Brad. I'm, I'm, I'm all, all right. aboard the, the, the Jordan Poole Ex Express and willing to, to, to give him his fair share because that lineup will need more shooting, I guess. Um, the, the, the one thing I'll talk about with Golden State, then I think after I get done with this point, I think Kevin has some more breaking news for us, um, is, is that they're going to need more playmaking in that lineup or somebody's, somebody's going to be a little mad in terms of how much they're going to have to do for everybody else, right? Like, like it, it, the, the playmaking responsibilities are going to fall sorely on Steph and Draymond's shoulders because Wiseman certainly isn't a playmaker at this stage. He's going to be a rookie coming in with like pretty much no training camp, no summer league to really get his feet wet um, with a lot of his teammates. W Wiggins, as much as he's improved on, on double teams, I wouldn't consider him... Um, like a great playmaker for others by any means. I don't see Ubre in that light either. So really with that starting lineup, if that would be the lineup you go with, um, yeah, there's a little bit of shot creation there by by having both Wiggins and Ubre there along with those three other guys. But how much playmaking and, and passing is really going to be there and quick decision-making because the whole thing behind Steve Kerr's offense, his motion offense, is quick decision-making, having basketball IQ be at the forefront of that lineup. So that I guess that's my biggest question. And Brett, to your point, if, if Poole can be somebody who at the very least, maybe he's not like the, the most expert ball mover in that lineup, but if he's at least someone that can recognize where he needs to go in short order um, and, and make a quick decision to shoot the ball or if he has to give it up right away, if he can at least do that much, obviously he, he spreads the floor and, and gives that dimension of gravity to the offense more than somebody like a Wiggins or an Ubre would. I definitely think he's, he's probably a better pure catch and shoot player than the both of them. Then that might be something that, that I'm, if I'm Steve Kerr, I'm at least, at least willing to explore. What do you think about that really quick, Jacob, before we hit on some more news? 
I, yeah, that was something I wanted to hit on as well, that they definitely need another playmaker. I don't know if there is one. I mean, I don't think I've seen enough from really anyone on this roster, except from obviously Steph and Draymond, to think that they're going to be able to take on any kind of load like that mm-hmm. going into next season. Yeah. Honestly, they really, I think, I thought they might have gone down. I know, Brett, you said Halliburton. I think that would have been a great pickup for them anywhere in the draft if they had found a good way to trade down because then you still have, you know, Marquis Chris, Eric Paschal, that um, Smailogic that you want to develop at some point that they were so high on that you hope is going to improve. They could have, you know, run center and power forward by committee mm-hmm. and picked up another guard because they really, because when Steph is off the floor, this team's going to struggle offensively badly. Might as it mightily as it does now it's lost you know when he's off the floor that's the the big three shooters from the, the dynasty gone so i yeah i think they need to pick some i think they will i think the ubre signing the amount it's costing them in tax i think it shows that they don't care they're going all in this is they they want to keep this dynasty rolling for as long as they possibly can i just i'm not sure who they can really look to bring in from this free agency class or going forward? Because who who are they really looking... Who could you really bring in? Like um, Austin Rivers, the Anthony Melton. That's kind of, you know, as far as you're looking, they don't really have the money for anyone like that. So I'm I'm really not sure what they're going to do when Steph sits. Basically, that's my biggest concern. What what do you do when Steph Curry's off the floor? And I don't think they, they have an answer for it, and I don't think they're going to have an answer for it, honestly. More more questions than answers for sure. Kevin, hit us hit us with some more breaking news as we're just a few minutes away from the 6 p.m. opening. So right now we're looking at Gordon Hayward going to Indiana on a sign-in trade. And Indiana is apparently offering Evan Turner and McDermott, but Boston wants Turner and Warren or Oladipo. So basically the Celtics are asking for a lot back. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they should. I mean, honestly, as they should, it's not like Hayward's a washed-up basketball player. Maybe he's not the best fit for that Boston team right now in the context of what they're doing because they, they kind of have, whether they like it or not, I understand how old Kemba is. But other than other than Kemba in that lineup, I mean, they're pretty much building around a youth movement still, right? Maybe a youth movement that's been ahead of schedule for a while now. So it's not like Hayward's a, a, a washed-up star by any means. I think he can bring a lot of value to Indiana, and quite frankly, they they need to to open up that front court a little bit, anyways. Um, so the Turner trade, I think, for all three of us, we can agree that makes sense. But um, if they have to give up somebody like Oladipo as well, or possibly even T.J. Warren, that's being talked about a little bit too, is that too big of a price for Indiana to pay for this Gordon Hayward? Do you guys think that that's pretty much um, the what the asking price needs to be? I think TJ Warren and Turner is probably too much to give up for Hayward. Look, as somebody who's a Celtics fan, as long as we can get Miles Turner, I'm good. I'm good with it. Like you can throw in whatever other player you want from them, whatever to make the money work. Um, but as long as we're getting Miles Turner, I think I'm happy with that. You know, assuming it's it's like a sign and trade, like, you know, just get something for him. And and Miles Turner's awesome. Like I I'm there's almost nobody I'd rather have for the Celtics just in terms of fit, just in terms of a big who can protect the rim, who can space the floor much more than what we saw even from him in Indiana. I think he was shooting about 
uh, maybe four three pointers a game. I'd have to double check, but I think you could almost get him into like that Jaron Jackson range of like seven plus three point attempts per game. I think he's that good of a shooter. I'll never forget uh, his rookie season, Larry Bird saying that he's the best shooter on the team. He's an excellent outside shooter. So I think he was a little bit uh, underutilized, uh, misutilized in Indiana. And, um, and I think that would just really open things up for Boston to have a big that can space the floor uh, legitimately, because obviously Daniel Tice couldn't do that. Cantor couldn't do that. Robert Williams couldn't do that. Uh, so that I, I absolutely love it. And I'm all for it as long as we're getting we I've, I've said I'm going to be better about saying we as long as Boston is getting uh, Miles <laughs> Turner back. So but I wonder I wonder who they're asking for that, that Indiana is reluctant. If it, Warren, that would seem like an awfully steep price considering his his play in the bubble. And he seems a little redundant with with Jalen and Jason as well. Or maybe yeah. not. Maybe that's the power play that, that Danny Ainge wants to, to pull. It seems like he's <laughs> he, he either wants wings or he wants undersized point guards. Is that that's like <laughs> that's his fetish at this point. Um, Jacob, what do you think about the move for Indiana on their side if it if it happens with with Hayward? I think Hayward is a good fit in Indiana. I really like him because I think Brogdon was a bit overwhelmed as the kind of primary option playmaker at the start of the season. And we saw that insane efficiency that he was known for in Milwaukee get eroded. I would really like to see, you know, another release valve on offense come in because Oladipo, honestly, at this point, I mean, Windhorse said there is like a no trade market for Oladipo. I 100% believe that based on his play since the injury. Like I do, like I would just try to get off him as quickly as possible. She have to pay him. God knows what you're going to be able to pay him. And someone like Gordon Hayward, I would be happy to have as kind of my secondary ball handler or even a kind of joint primary ball handler with um, Ogden or anyone else they look to bring in. Because, yeah, I don't think TJ Warren, to echo Brett's point, he's a bit redundant in Boston. And I think he's probably more valuable to Indiana than he would be to Boston. I don't think they would quite do that. If they can get Turner, if Boston can get Turner, that's an excellent return for Boston because that's a real point of need. And it's kind of a surplus for Indiana because they have Sabonis, who is a very good player. I'm not sold on his upside, honestly, because I think the way he forces you to play isn't a winning way to play in 2020. But I like the move overall for Boston, I think, more than Indiana, which tells me Indiana's probably not going to pay that price. Yeah, that that's that's absolutely a possibility. Um, I I think I agree with both of you in in saying that the trade's definitely um, more of an upside for Boston if it happens because Miles Turner's still an incredibly young player, um, getting to continue to grow with Tatum and Brown, who still have other levels to hit of their own. Obviously, Kemba Walker's still running the show for the rest of that team. It, it, it's an upside play for Boston while Indiana gets to remain. Um, competitive with, with a little bit of upside of their own and adding Hayward if he re- returns to any semblance of that all-star forward that we saw in, in Utah, who was one of the top five small forwards I think I had him ranked as at the time when he was um, getting ready to leave Utah to join Boston. Um, that, that That's still a move that allows them to contend in the East and remain as competitive as they want to, despite the upside potentially being middle of the pack. So uh, we'll see what happens with that deal. Kevin, do we have any other news to break before we hop in to more draft talk? We do. 37 seconds ago, Goran Dragic announced that he's back with Miami Heat. 
two-year deal with a second year being a Miami Heat option. Ooh. Ooh. Wonderful. I love Wonderful. that. Wonderful. I love that a lot. That was, that was kind of the deal everyone expected was, was going to be that, uh, that nice, that nice one year. And then the, the team option second. Um, I just wonder, uh, yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, mm-hmm. it's nice, nice for them that they can bring him back. I do wonder, uh, and we can maybe get into this guy a little bit later when we talk more about free agency, but I wonder how that will affect them possibly bringing Derek Jones Jr. back because to me, he's one of the more interesting free agents. And I thought if, you know, if they bring Dragic back, it, it's probably unlikely that they'll bring him back, but, but we'll see. Good move though. You, you got to love that if you're a Heat fan. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's another one. He was in my top 25 free agents. Another one bites the dust. I would hope he was in your top 25. <laughs> well, the injury is what knocks him down. Ah. Otherwise, that's, I think that was kind of a blessing in disguise for Miami in a way because he was, he was playing so well. And now with the, with the injury, as long as it's just a kind of surface level, not lasting injury, it's, all it's done is kind of depress his contract value at a time when Miami would have had to pay big to keep him. Is there a number on that? Yeah, I'm just curious what they uh, what they might be paying him for one year. Is it like 15 or? I don't have a number yet. If I do, I'll let you guys know. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, you you got to keep the dragon. You got to keep the dragon at, at at all costs, at least for for this upcoming campaign. And then things change when when we're in 2021. And who who knows? Maybe Giannis is on the board. Maybe he's not. Well, I'm sure we'll we'll get news on that at some point over the coming days as well. Um, so we've already gotten the hit on quite a few exciting free agency topics, and I'm sure we'll, we'll wrap up the pod with, with more, unless we keep getting bombarded with, with Woj bombs as, as Woj is pretty much known to catch us off guard at any time of the night at this point. Um, so I, I wanted to jump into a lot more of the draft recap talk, um, starting with what I would consider to be more surprising picks based on um, big board evaluation, at least from the draft deeper big board. Um, Anybody who's listening to this podcast, who's a fan of the podcast, you guys have heard my big board, my top 30 at this point that that we covered for the 2020 draft class. Um, And as well as you've likely also heard Brett and Jacob talk about their big board, kind of where they had some of these draft picks. Um, If you got to listen to the the show of theirs that I was on, um, that I linked, hopefully everybody listened to that as well. Um, so just kind of going through, I did like a little range comparison for the top 30 picks, the first round picks, um, going through some of the more quote unquote surprising names in terms of just the range of where I had them on the big board versus where they actually got drafted. The more surprising picks by rankings were Patrick Williams was drafted 15 spots ahead of where I had him ranked on my big board. Jalen Smith was drafted 11 spots ahead. Kyra Lewis Jr. was drafted 12 spots ahead. Um, Cole Anthony was drafted 14 spots below. Um, and then RJ Hampton and Jaden McDaniels were drafted fi- 16 and 15 spots below respectively, as well as Desmond Bain took um, a surprising slide as well, being drafted 13 spots below where I had him ranked. So those were kind of like my surprising guys, I guess, I guess, uh, Brett, I'll start with you. Um, who are the more surprising draft picks in terms of ranges of where you had them ranked? Um, were there really any big discrepancies or did everything kind of fall draft night a, a, as you saw graded and how you were grading out these prospects? I do have Not a number it. before you start. Oh, yeah. What is uh, it? Uh, two year for $37.4 million. Wow. Oh, wow. So it's actually a little, little, more, little more than they gave Iguodala. Yeah. I don't That's have a, um, a number with a split yet. 
but that's what we're looking at for two years. Five average, big money. Actually, a little more than I would have expected. Yeah, I would have thought maybe two years thirty. Um, wow, good for him. <laughs> he, earned he earned it, it. though. He, he earned it absolutely one hundred percent. I got to be happy for him. Uh, but yeah, back to my board. Like there was, there was, there was some big discrepancies. Uh, obviously, with the guys like like Cole Anthony, like I'm almost as high on him as you are. So I there was he went thirteen spots. I had him at number two, so he, and he went fifteen. And then um, Jade McDaniel's, I had a number seven higher than probably anybody. Obviously, he went twenty eight. Uh, and then you know the one that that really jumps out is Jalen Smith. Uh, for for most people, probably I had him at number twenty four. So he went fourteen spots higher than I had him at number ten. I I I don't love that pick for Phoenix. I, I can't. Everyone's lie. back to hating on the Phoenix Suns draft picks. Everyone's we're right <sighs> back to where we started last year. And I did hate on the Cam Johnson pick, and that turned out to be a good one. But I, this one really doesn't make considering who else was still available at that time. I mean, I, I think. I think Tyrese Halliburton would have been a fantastic pick for them. I, I mean, just to have that third guard and that versatility, uh, I, that's who I, I really would have liked to have seen them take at 10. And I mean, the Jalen Smith thing, I'm not sure. I mean, Nathan, I'll defer to you here. Do you, do you think he can play the four or, or, or is he, is he going to be strictly a five? Is he just a backup to, to Aiton? I mean, what is he in the I NBA? So if if anyone out there, and I don't know how much you guys did or not listen to to Zach Lowe talk about um, some of the draft stuff with, with Cavoni and Schmitz before the draft happened, as well as some of the other appearances he made on other um, ESPN platforms before draft night. But everyone wanted to talk about the Suns in large part because of the Chris Paul trade. And everyone wanted to bring up the points. Well, all right, well, what, what are the next moves for the Suns? If they're really going to contend in the West, what else do they need to really make an impact? Um, and, and, and Zach made a great point that this could go one of two ways, right? They could either focus on defense or they could focus on better guard play and, and filling out the rotation from, from a playmaking perspective um, in the draft. They could go one of those two directions, right? And, and I think that probably the biggest point of contention that the naysayers want to say and, and make about the, the Jalen Smith draft pick is that you can sign bigs in, in free agency, right? Like you can sign a big uh, almost or even more easily than you can sign like like a replacement level or like slightly below replacement level, um, like a backup point guard, right? Those seem to me the those seem to be the most popular um, free agency spots or, or needs that you can fill when when that time comes. So um, that's probably the biggest point of contention. But Jalen Smith has more upside than just being a backup five, right? Like his shooting ability gives him the chance to, while we're probably not going to see him play a lion's share of minutes next to DeAndre Ayton, it gives Phoenix the potential to do that when they have to combat size with more size, right? Like, like let's say, for example, in a big spot, they got to play somebody like the Los Angeles Lakers who are going to put a, another big, obviously still next to Anthony Davis, whether that's bringing Dwight back, whether McGee's back, uh, whether they go in a completely different direction in terms of the center spot, but they're going to play the Twin Tower style because AD can spread the floor um, and, and doesn't have to do everything that he does out of the post. Well, Jalen Smith can play the same way, obviously not the elite level that Anthony Davis can, but it gives Phoenix the ability to play big when they have to and have another floor spacer while still having who I would deem to be a very um, high-level backup to DeAndre Ayton. Um, he, he's, he hasn't had like injury concerns really throughout his young career, but obviously he had 
um, the, the PED situation where he was suspended for games. So I think at that point, if, if you're a professional ball club and you see anything like that happen within your organization, you kind of have to cover all your bases, right? On top of also the defensive impact that Jalen Smith brings, he's probably going to end up being one of the best shot blocking bigs um, out of this draft class. So obviously he helps you on the defensive end for, for your backup units as well. So I actually... Even though he he was in a range where I wouldn't necessarily agree in terms of like a pure draft grade, I actually understand why Phoenix made the pick, and I think it could be a great pick for the Suns, both in the short term as they're trying to contend in the West as well as long term. Jacob, what do you think about the pick? See, I think what you said makes a lot of sense, especially about kind of positions of need and where you can sign them. It is kind of can you play the four? Because I remember when they signed Chris Paul, I went through kind of just see like, right, what would their starting five look like? Because this is kind of loaded now. And power forward was a position where I was like, shit, am I going to have to start Cam Johnson power forward? I don't really want to do that. But but that's kind of what we're left with or kind of what Sarich, who's been regressing. I actually think this free agency class is a bit the other way because you think when you just list off free agents power forwards or free agent forward slash centers you've got you know Millsap, the morris twins jay crowder jermichael green who can kind of split time anywhere along that front court you've got heartless you got the ever amazing potential of jeff green enticing potential and then you've got a whole list of center backup centers you could sign like lopez like Baines, bring bring brains back, or Derek Favors. Like, there's a long list of centers you could look at. Other I than the would... true bigs, you're you're reading off a bunch of like small ball fours. So I I, I think that's where you're going to go. Is that that kind of option that Jalen Smith could give them really isn't in this free agent class. Uh, yeah, he, I, he, he, I I hear you, man. Like about his upside and his capabilities as like a floor spacer. Like there is value there, but I just don't know how I feel about drafting a backup center with the 10th um, pick yeah. when you've got guys like Halliburton on the board and or even like a Sadiq Bay, someone like that. Uh, yeah. Vassell could work there. He, he might be a little bit redundant with Mikhail Bridges as, as like a three and D wing, but I guess you can never um, have too many of those guys. I, I probably would have rather to two. If I was, I'd play him kind of minutes at the two and three. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. There's yeah, no, he, he would be there too. And I, I just think there's a handful of guys I would have rather had. I'm not trying to like trash yeah. Jalen Smith. Like he's a really interesting prospect. Um, His frame, his frame might be why I'm a little bit down on him. Just watching him. He's, his legs are so skinny and, and that means something. I mean, w w he's got like this kind of built upper body and then he's like just sticks for legs. And, and I just wonder, uh, you know, if he's going to get pushed around and then I wonder if he's, if he's capable of guarding fours or I just, I don't quite know what he is, but, but look, Hey, after last season, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticize Phoenix's selection uh, at number 10 too hard because <laughs> I, for, they knew what they were doing with that one. And I was, I was hard on them for that pick too. So I'm, I'll have faith that they, that they, they're seeing something that I'm not, he's definitely interesting, but that was like the biggest surprise. And Nathan, can I run one more big surprise by you here? Yeah. Because, I know this was one for you as well, because I think you had this guy a few spots higher than I did. Um, I had RJ Hampton at number 13 on my big yep. board. He ended up going number 24, uh, ultimately to Denver. That was, that was surprising. I, I would have bet just about anything. He was at least within the top 20, um, just based on his upside as, as a, you know, as a six, five uh, point guard, I, I, essentially. 
Yeah, I mean that's that that's that's definitely a slide for for RJ Hampton. You and I both agree in terms of the talent level that he should not have fallen that far. Um, what what a coup this ends up being for 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 Denver. Obviously, the pick was involved in the trade, um, but what a coup that they end up getting now. So if you think about RJ Hampton's upside as not only a creator but also a shot maker, certainly big enough to play like that combo guard spot next to Jamal Murray. Obviously, you have a few defensive questions there, but offensively for stretches, can you imagine the firepower that that backcourt can potentially bring on offense? I mean, that, oh, now, we're, now we're really talking about interesting fits, especially later on um, in the draft in terms of slides. Yeah, that was absolutely a big surprise for me. Um, the Jaden McDaniels one wasn't as big of a surprise just for, for me personally. I know you like him um, a lot, Brad. We'll, we'll get to him to a second after I let Jacob respond to some of this. Um, that wasn't as big of a surprise just because of the intel that was out there. Um, but, but I guess like the, the, the final thing I'll, I'll say to wrap up on, on, on Jalen Smith is that, yeah, we, we can, we can bag on, on Phoenix for maybe not getting enough value out of the pick or maybe not trading down to potentially pick up another asset along with possibly getting their guy. But I think even though you saw David Griffin in the war room slapping everybody's hand, like high five and like, yeah, Kyra Lewis Jr. That was the guy we wanted all along. We got our guy. I, I believe a lot of that buzz that Jalen Smith could have been drafted there. And I think you look at where Phoenix was at number 10. I don't really think they could have drafted down um, before new Orleans to definitely make sure that they, that they nab Jalen Smith. If he was the guy that graded out for them um, at the top of their board. And that was the guy that they wanted all along. So I guess it's, it's really an instance of, how much of the intel out there do you believe? And if you believe that intel, are you willing to, to maybe take a risk in the public's mind and, and just go get your guy like they did with, with Cam Johnson last year and that worked out well for them? And and, and maybe Jalen Smith, that, that was just another another case of that. And it, it's not like they, they brought in somebody who is this expected star right out of the gate. Like he needs to be playing so many minutes. He's going to be upset if he doesn't get the role that he wants. He comes from a military background, man. He, he, he comes from a hardworking family. He comes from a background of discipline. He's going to come in and play the role that they ask him to. And he's going to come in, bring his lunch pail to work. And he's just going to come in and do his damn job. So that that's another aspect of, of the pick that I, that I really liked. Um, Jacob, what were, what were some of the undervalued, um, selections or, or maybe off-range selections that that stood out to you that you would want to get into? Well, I wasn't too sure because I don't dive nearly as deeply as Brett, let alone yourself, into these drafts. Like I've made it my I've made my decision that I'm not going to really like I'm going to read like your draft, your big board, Brett's big board. You know, the when I can find draft content, I try to consume it when I can, but I don't try to do my own because I've decided I'm just going to do a top five and I'm going to do it way too early. <laughs> and that top five, and I'm just praying one year, it might take 10 years, it might take 20, it might never happen. I want to predict the top five in a draft like a year before it happens. And we'll see, because this year I got it very, very wrong. It couldn't have really <laughs> gotten worse. I had RJ Hampton number one on my July 2019 big board. And he ends up going 24. I did have Ant-Man number two. So there you go. That, there you go. There you go. We're nearly, nearly there to getting one pick right. Cole Anthony number three, Theo Maladin four, and James Wiseman five. So Maladin's slip, though, through the year, it made sense why he was slipping. But I still think he's a bit of a steal at 34. Like, I think he's got mm -hmm. quite a bit of upside. And I think the um, the Thunder... Have done well to get him. I think it's a good situation for him. I actually really like RJ Hampton 
going to the Nuggets because he isn't going to get much time on the floor. And to stay on the floor, he's going to have to do things outside of his repertoire that he has right now. Because right now, he's a crazy athletic scorer, like, which is why I really loved him. I really loved because he was just letting that shit fly. He was just driving past players. And if he tries to do that in the Nuggets offense, when you've got Murray and MPJ and Jokic around him, he's going to get pulled off the floor real quick. So he's got to figure out other ways to stay on the floor. And that's going to be the best thing for him to become a really useful NBA player. But that was the one that really shocked me because I've been high on RJ Hampton since I saw his um, high school highlights. But apart from that, like, I don't think there were too many surprises outside Jalen Smith for me from what I've seen from big boards. It was quite, you know, run of the mill. I mean, you could say Patrick Williams, but the buzz around him climbing had been building for a while. So I wasn't surprised about that. I think Akura actually, because the way obviously Brett had him number one on his big boards, and but most everything else I'd seen had had him at most like nine, 10, 11, 12 range. To see him climb up to five makes me believe that at least a few of the GMs in the league have seen what Brett saw in Okoro. Yeah, Patrick Williams and Isaac Okoro were definitely where I was going to go next. Um, Jacob, you made a great point about RJ Hampton. They they had a short leash in in the playoffs with, with MPJ with some of his shot selection. So I can I can definitely see that being something that they're going to have to really teach RJ Hampton to come in if he's going to play significant minutes in, in, in any kind of rotation role. He's obviously going to have to operate within the offense, do more of, of what he hasn't been asked to do as much um, at other points in his career. And I really hope that that spot up shooting work that he was doing with Mike Miller um, pays off dividends and, and he really comes in and, and shocks some people in a, in a Denver role. Um, yeah, Patrick Williams obviously has to be a name that, that gets talked about, right? And and Brett, I'll, I'll leave you to be the, the biggest, just like I I'm on all these different platforms getting on my Cole Anthony soapbox. Um, I feel like you have to get on your soapbox for, for, for Patrick Williams here. Um, Okoro as well, who is the top guy on your board, but but Patrick Williams definitely too. Um, what, what do you think of that? That pick is so interesting to me. Um, and there's dead multiple angles that I'm sure we're going to take with, with your explanation of things. But what was your initial reaction to that on on, on draft night, just from, from a, a fit perspective? Yeah, well, all right. If you look at it from like a positional standpoint, I think that's what they needed, right? Is like a three or maybe a three slash four, whatever you want to call him. And so when you look at that and you look at the guys that at least were, you know, in the top 10 on my big board, it would come down to Patrick Williams, Isaac Coro, and Denny Abia, right? Those are kind of the guys that made sense. Like I, I really, I've thought this whole time that, 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 that they basically call it what you want, but I'll just say a small forward. I think that's kind of what the bulls need, right? Otto Porter's on the last year of his big deal. I don't think he's going to be coming back. I think they're going to want a guy long-term that can sort of step into his spot and maybe even step in this season if Otto gets hurt, uh, which he tends to do. So look, I had a Coro number one on my big board. I would have taken him at number four, um, but they went with Williams who I had at number five on my big board. So I, I'm, I'm happy with the pick for them. Uh, you know, one thing that, that is encouraging with that pick in terms of like a, uh, developmental standpoint, because obviously that's the big thing with Williams, right? He's like this, um, th this clay that you mold or this blank canvas or whatever, you know, metaphor you want to use. Like, um, that's who he is, right? He's, I described him as having big paws, both literally and figuratively, because he's got <laughs> some big hands, but he's also got like big paws, you know, like you say about a dog, like he could be, he could be a, a really special player if you mold him the right way. And 
with Billy Donovan in Chicago now, I feel really good about uh, their player development approach because um, my favorite young player in, in the entire NBA is Darius Baisley, right? And I saw the way that Donovan believed in him, trusted him, developed him, and just sort of found this balance where like, you know, you give him minutes, you give him opportunity, you have confidence in him, you let him make some mistakes, but you know, you don't go overboard with it to the point that he's hurting your team. And, and I just, I paid so much attention to Baisley because, because I've been so high on him for so long uh, and, and was just really impressed with that sort of from a developmental standpoint. So I, I like that. I have faith in Donovan um, in that regard. And then I, I think it fills a need. I mean, I think he's essentially going to be, you know, their backup wing, um, you know, as we've talked about before, like a combo three, four, I really like the Tobias Harris comp that you had as like a, maybe like a ceiling for him, like that type mm -hmm. of player, but a different version. Um, so I think he has as much upside as anybody in the draft and he fills a positional need for them. And I, I have faith that they're going to develop him the right way. And look, when we talk about this draft, like, sure, a lot of people had Patrick Williams, like, I think the ringer had him at like number 17 on their big board. And, and I think you had him in that range too. And I've seen him in that range a lot too. But I just think with this draft, when you look at, you know, that number outside the top three, really, and then all the way down to maybe 17, 18, like, I don't think there's a huge gap there. It just, it's personal preference. It's team fit. It's, it's what you're looking for. Um, so I think that felt like a really a reach maybe for a lot of people. Um, and news broke earlier the morning on draft day that, or maybe even the night before that Chicago was eyeing him. So it didn't come as, as much of a surprise as it would have. But uh, to me, the pick makes sense. Uh, I, like I said, I probably would have gone Okoro just because I do have him number one, but that's the sort of position you're looking for if you're the bulls and they drafted a guy with a lot of upside and uh, let's just hope that they sort of, you know, find that balance between giving him opportunity and, uh, and not giving him too much leash. Like, I guess that's the best way to put it. Let, let me let me pivot back to, to Jacob really quick because I have a good question for him. Um, given that that he's he's as involved in in the trade market and and not only that, but also evaluating the the, the value of a draft pick in terms of that kind of context too. Um, what you get out of certain draft picks, no matter where it falls, um, the ultimate value that comes of it. So. Um, let's say, I, I think an interesting scenario that I've kind of talked about on, on in, in different places before, let's say that Patrick Williams doesn't become like that, that wing, right? Let's say he never develops that kind of a skill set and he kind of is best as a power forward. But in, in saying that he becomes like a pretty damn good power forward, right? So you already have Larry Markkinen on the roster and you also have Wendell Carter Jr. Um, two, two bigs who could potentially be moved given um, when their paydays are eventually going to come and, and the Bulls have to make some front court decisions. Um, Jacob, what do you think about the trade value of both marketing and, and, and Carter? Because at least from what I've seen and from what I've heard, I'm not as down on the two players as some other um, markets have, have let that slip or, or, or some media guys. But between the injuries and then Markin's dissipating disappointing campaign from what his rookie season was last year, it seems like their values are down. So if they did decide to make Patrick Williams a more significant piece in the front court in the future, what what kind of packages do you think could possibly be built around those two? Or do you think Chicago just tries to still log jam those three guys together? I, I, I hope that now we have a whole new front office, a whole new coaching staff. I hope they don't try to log jam them together. 
I find it very difficult to place value right now on Carter or Markkanen just because, you know, their, their development has been so stagnated for the past few years. And it's it's fair to put a lot of that on, this, on Jim Boylan and the system they've been asked to play in. I think we really need to play out this season and then see right where do they stand. Has Markkanen developed? The only problem is for Chicago... You've wasted so much time. By the time you know how marketing's developed after this year, he's up for an extension. Yep. And then the trade value for him, because now suddenly there is an amount you have to pay him, whatever that is, maybe it's gone up. That that market again has decreased. So it's it's super difficult to place any kind of value on them. I thought um the the um Golden States two to four with Carter, I thought that was a great value deal for Golden State. I don't think it was such a good value deal for Chicago. So I can see why that didn't ever really build up momentum. Yeah, I find it very difficult to place value. So saying what you said about um, maybe Tobias Harris as a kind of ceiling for Patrick Williams, or at least a an aggregate of that value, you know, maybe less on offense, but makes up some of that value on defense. Mm-hmm. If we're saying that as the ceiling... That's that's good value historically speaking for the fourth pick. That's that's pretty good. Like it's not outstanding value, I don't think, but it's 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 all right for the fourth pick. I think it might be, and it's so much of its context as well. In this draft, it could well like there are some drafts where that's an amazing pick. Where there are some drafts where Tobias Harris is the is the second or third best player to come out of that draft. That's yep. how bad some drafts are. Yep. And we don't know how good or bad this one might be. So it's it's very difficult. I don't hate the pick, but if you told me in a random draft, you know, a hypothetical one, Patrick Williams has the same value as Tobias Harris and he goes fourth, I would be a bit underwhelmed, honestly, by that. Can I hop in real quick? I have a slew of, n- nothing big, but a slew of things nonetheless. Go right ahead. So, yeah, Wes yeah. Matthews is signing with the Lakers. Ooh. Okay. Ooh, interesting. Jared Dudley re-signed with the Lakers. Myers <laughs> Leonard re-signed with the Heat for $9 million, which is a lot. Is that for one year? Uh, it's two-year, $20 million, $9 million first year, team option for the second year. Whoa. Okay. Uh, it sounds like Joe Harris is going to go back to the Nets. It's not official yet, but that's what all signs are pointing to. Wow. And going back yeah. to the... Uh, the Myers Leonard deal. Ironically, if you add up Iguodala's, Drogic's, and Myers Leonard deal, it's forty-one million. James Harden is also worth forty-one million. <laughs> Very interesting. Oh, come on, man. Don't. No, we're 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 not doing that, man. We're J- J- James, <laughs> J- You know what? If anyone out there wants to listen to the James Harden trade talk, I, I'm sure Brett and, and Jacob are going to hammer that up with with Steve we, on their podcast. We already have, man. We already have. Man. Yeah, we already have. Yeah. It's, it's only going to keep coming. So I have to, I have to um, say though, I I don't hate that because take all their draft picks from Miami, and then these are all contracts that you clear after this year. I don't hate that totally from Miami. I think there is some upside there. But those three players, imagine saying like you traded Iggy, <laughs> Myers, Leonard, and Goran Dragic for James Harden. That's wow. insane. I can't I believe know. they gave Myers that much. Like they, yeah. they weren't even playing him. He, right. he was I, I I doubt he played 10 minutes total in the playoffs. Like he was he was a non-factor. He was non-existent. Uh, I'm I'm really I, surprised to hear that. I don't that. know. From a Heat fan, I think that's completely fair. 
can can, can i paint a very comedic but also very serious picture at the same time where if you're steven silas and you've waited for that coaching opportunity and you've been in the assistant coaching <laughs> ranks for that long to to get an opportunity with not just one but two uh, potential superstar guys still in enough of their prime to to work with for the first time and you're telling me one of those guys is going out the door for for those three players just imagine <laughs> oh man on on his face i would feel so bad i already feel bad enough for 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 mr silas that, he's, that he's he has a, to deal with the drama but he's a very nice guy I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting him and he's a he's a very nice guy and he's you know i know he's got the the famous nba last name but that guy uh from he, he's a grinder he's he's worked his way up to this point he's earned it and uh, i think he's going to do a really good job for them but yeah he's He's in a very uncertain situation, but I'm sure he's going to do a, a good job with it. I, I really actually like that hire a lot. But God, um, I wish the best of luck for that man. Um, he, he's I, a I, great I guy. Yeah. Uh, so so kind of like to wrap up the Chicago stuff, and then we can we can uh, pivot into a, another conversation in terms of potential developmental spots um, for some of these guys. I, I'm going to be watching the Bulls a lot this year, not necessarily because I think they're going to be one of the most fun teams or the most entertaining teams to watch and in, in terms of like yeah they're playing like one of the best brands of basketball out there but the performances of Markin and, and Carter along with Williams um if it turns out to be by the end of the season that one of those two bigs um is on the trade market if I'm another GM uh hello I'm gonna raise my hand because mm -hmm. I would certainly be interested in either one of them I was high on either of them when they were coming out of their respective draft classes I think I had Markin in like top six on, on that board. And I had Carter as like a top four guy. Um, I was very high on the both of them. So if I'm somebody else watching that situation, potentially blow up and, and, and turn another direction. Yeah. I'm raising my hand. I'm putting, I'm putting my name in, in that trade sweepstakes um, for, for, for sure. So um, moving into Isaac Okora, we said we were going to talk about him as well with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, Brett, how, how do you see the developmental situation playing out with, with Akora? I know, obviously, he was the number one guy on your board, but just someone with certainly high enough upside as well as a high enough floor, do you think he's going to develop to the, the best of his ability in a situation like Cleveland where certainly developmental-wise – um, they've been an organization that's been a, a little bit hit or miss, and I'll kind of throw, uh, I'll, I'll make it a two-part, or I'll throw Tyrese Halliburton into that conversation as well with Sacramento. Um, I, I'd be a little concerned just from a developmental perspective, just getting the most out of those two guys and their upside, um, just going into those particular situations because they have not been the best in the past. Yeah, so as you know, Okoro was the number one guy on my board. He's my favorite player in this class. So I sort of have mixed feelings about him going to the Cavs. Like <laughs> on the one hand, like I'm, I'm really excited. He's, he's going to have minutes, right? He's going to get minutes. He's going to get opportunity. He's going to get some usage. He'll really be able to show what he can do. Um, but at the same time, I, I do worry about the sort of developmental aspect with him. Like I, I don't want him to get lost in the shuffle. And I know he's the number five pick in the draft. Like they're not just going to lose sight of him or anything. But, you know, when you've got Garland and Sexton, we're both, really high draft picks too and then you've got like sort of these disgruntled kind of <laughs> veterans that probably want to get theirs and like drummond and love you know who might be looking for more money in the future especially drummond and i mean i, I don't know and then you've got like kevin porter jr who I, I absolutely love as a player but it's starting to become a little questionable like what's his character like is he is he the kind of influence you want around a rookie um, and I don't, I don't want to speak on that too much because I really don't know much about the situation, but it's a little bit um, 
a little bit concerning. And so it's just like, what kind of situation is this guy being thrown into? And so I, I, I definitely, again, have, have mixed feelings about it. I, I worry that his development could be a little stunted or a little bit misguided uh, in that situation, but at the same time, he'll have some opportunity. So, you know, maybe it just comes down to him and his, his approach and what he does with what he's given. And I I have faith that he's going to be really good there. And maybe he's going to be the guy that, that turns things around for Cleveland. Ultimately Um, I like it from a fit standpoint, you know, they were historically, I think um, one of the worst defensive teams in NBA history, the last couple of years. And, that's what he does best. Obviously, he's the premier wing defender in this draft class, mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then also he, you know, he provides an element of hustle, of competition, of just making winning plays, and and that's something that they've been lacking, I think, on all fronts for a very long time. So I, I, I absolutely love the pick from their standpoint. As a big fan of Okoro, I'm a little bit worried. Maybe I would have liked to see him go to a, a better situation, but I'm happy he's a top five pick. Uh, and then, uh, and then look, Halliburton to the Kings was. Um, probably my favorite pick of the whole draft. I mean, that they were able to get him at number 12 and I'm not the biggest Halliburton guy. Uh, I had him at number 10 on, on my board. Uh, So, you know, that, that's a value pick based on that for sure. Uh, And I mean, I, I just love what, what he provides them in terms of like that, that backcourt rotation with, with buddy and De'Aaron Fox, like they've got this lightning quick uh, electric, you know, point guard and creator and Darren Fox. And then you've got this lights out shooter and buddy, and then you've just got this versatile guy in Halliburton. And I think they'll be able to play the three of them together and, and that'll be really fun. Uh, and then in terms of like development there, um, they've had mixed results. I'm not going to be too worried about it. And, and I think Halliburton's a mature enough player where, you know, he's not like a, he's not like a Patrick Williams or even like a, a somebody who's, there are maturity issues with somebody like maybe Jaden McDaniels where like, if he goes to the wrong situation, it might just not happen. But if well, he was going to be the other team. He was going to be the other name I was going to bring up going to the Yeah. So we can, we, exactly. So we can, we can get yeah. to him, but, 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 but I'm just saying that I don't have those same concerns with her. And I think the kind of guy you could actually put in a really bad situation and he would probably still turn out. Okay. I just think he's a very mature, very intelligent uh, player. So, and, and I'm not too worried about that spot in Sacramento. I think I, I just love the idea of him, uh, him developing alongside Fox and, and healed. And uh, I just think that was, that was a great pick. And, uh, and I'm, I feel really good about his future as an NBA player. I just can't believe they, they got him at 12. Yeah. Uh, Jay, yeah, absolutely. And Jaden McDaniels. Yeah. He was going to be the other name that I would throw into this mix as well. Just going to Minnesota. They've obviously had mixed results um in the past from a developmental perspective and he's someone you certainly have to be patient with but if you are patient if you bring out the best of his strengths and learn how to mold him into an offense where he can come in earn enough minutes and then expand on some of those other upside skills that he has he can be a quality player down the road but will the Timberwolves figure out how to develop him correctly that I'm um, I'm a little skeptical with. I would have much rather seen him go somewhere with a better developmental program, like like a Miami. Maybe if he would have even fell just one more pick to somewhere like Toronto. Um, those are just a few better situations that I would have liked to see him um, in. If the Spurs maybe wanted to take like a home run swing on somebody mm-hmm. like that, um, that would have been another great situation. Um, Jacob, you touched on RJ Hampton. That was actually a really good one that that I was thinking of bringing up in this as well. We already talked about him. Uh, were there any other 
picks that stood out to you that maybe you don't think are necessarily the best fit from like a developmental perspective or like anything else that really surprised you in a similar regard? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I didn't like the Knicks taking another power forward. That, <laughs> that was. The, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up, man. That was the one that jumps out. We're talking about developmental. Uh, I knew someone was going to say it. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't doubt because you know everything I hear from you know the draft experts is that Toppin is a very thoughtful young man. That he's very intelligent. He's a student of the game. So I think he's one of those guys, like you're saying about Halliburton, that you can probably put him anywhere and he will develop by himself. Like I'm th- I think of someone like Devin Booker who was put into that absolute shit show in Phoenix. And he's had a great development curve out of that just because he works at his game. He doesn't need to be forced to work at it. And I would imagine that top in the way they're talking about him, he's similar, but it's still, you still need to fit on the court. You still need to get time. You still need to get reps and it's just such a shit show, I think, in New York for Toppin to come in and do that, let alone going with Tibbs, who I absolutely hate as a coach. I I I can't stand Tibbs as a coach for the development aspect, for running players into the ground, for his kind of that um, scheme, the ice, 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 that he just ran into the ground and got figured out in about two seasons. I really don't like that pick. I, I worry about how Topping could develop. So I think Topping could develop into a real, real offensive force in the league. And when you're that good and that big, you are gonna be you're gonna be at worst like a slightly quite bad defender. I think he could be a real net positive. I don't know if that's gonna come out now that he's at the net the Knicks, honestly. Mm. Yeah, the the thing. Okay, let me just play a little de- devil's advocate. I'll, I'll, first mm-hmm. of all, I'll say like that would not have been my pick. I mean, I had Toppin at number twelve on my board, so uh, that didn't strike me as a great value pick. But at the same time, considering he's a New York kid and the agency ties uh, at CAA, I think it's called. Um, so they, it, it made sense on a lot of levels, uh, and also that they sort of just need a scorer, and they also need a star. And this was one of the reasons that I really like the idea of them drafting Cole Anthony uh, is that, you know, I just think they need a guy that has that star power and Obi Toppin does have that. And then look, yeah, if we're talking about player development, right, the Knicks have as bad a track record as anybody. Like sometimes I wonder if, if Kevin Knox had been drafted by the Spurs, like what would he be right now? You know, like I, I wonder sometimes or Frankie smokes or <laughs> you, you can go down the list. Right. Um, but at the same time, like Obi Toppin might be the most, developed player in this draft you know the fact that he's going on 23 years old and like he's got a pretty mature game and 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 that's been one of my biggest concerns with him is like how much better can he get he might be closer to his ceiling than anybody else in this draft it's not necessarily a bad thing but i guess if if a team that's not known for their player development is going to draft somebody maybe it does make sense to draft the guy that's already developed uh so maybe from that standpoint, it makes a little bit of sense. He's going to be a really popular player. He's going to have a lot of highlights. Um, I, I get it. I get it. I wasn't mad at that pick, even though it was a little bit higher than I had him evaluated at. Um, so, you know, it, it could work out. I don't love it. And, um, yeah, there was – I had heard a little rumor that there may be some medical issues with Obi Toppin. Uh, that probably is not the case, considering he he did go number eight. Um, and – 
but you know, I, I don't hate the pick. I think it makes a little bit of sense from both sides. I mean, I'm happy for him. I'm sure it's a dream to play for the Knicks. You got to be happy for the kid. Yeah, and 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 I guess like on on one hand, we can look at it from Tibbs's perspective and say how much input did he have on the pick, considering the potential um, defensive liability that Toppin can be on the floor in that front court, and he is the most defensive minded coach that, that or one of that I can think of um, in the league right now. But on the other hand, as you talked about Brett, um, how much patience is Tibbs going to have in terms of giving young guys leash in general or having, or, or wanting to develop guys? Cause yeah, that really hasn't been something that he's wanted to fully take part in um, in the past. I really credit a lot of Jimmy Butler's development to, to himself and just to how damn hard of a worker he is. Um, and, and, and so how much better, is someone truly going to get being a part of that organization in that particular situation? So maybe, maybe that was part of Tibbs's input as well. That you know, if there's so many other ties and so many other factors that are leading to this to be the pick, well, maybe I can accept it and, and work with a guy like Obi because he is that polished, at least offensively, coming out of the draft more than a lot of these other guys. So it's it's it, it's definitely a double sided um, coin that you can take a look at that pick with. Um, for for sure, we we mentioned Cole Anthony. That's probably the last name that we have to really knock out here before we move on to the final big topic that I definitely want to cover in this podcast. Um, I, I don't really have a ton to say about the fit, to be honest with you guys. Um, I really think Cole Anthony is going to come in and succeed pretty much where, wherever he was going to go um, because I think he just wants it that bad. He's going to be that. Um, hard of a worker he's going to come in and really play to his strength as best as he can I really think he's going to be able to communicate with everybody around him and figure out how he needs to come in and fit especially um, with a guy like, like, like Markel Fultz what have I rather seen the magic um, put more of like an off guard next to Fultz to let Fultz do more of those Fultz things that he does with the ball in his hands play make for others cut with the ball um, penetrate kick out the shooters yeah maybe but at the same time um, being this high on Cole Anthony as I am, you, you technically have to rate him out as a combo guard as well, putting his scoring ability next to Fultz. It, it can very well be um, the, the the fit and the juice that Orlando needs, especially if um, Fournier is going to find his way off the magic. I'm not quite sure that he's going to end up being the long-term fit of the two guard there. So, um, Brett, you the other guy that was high on Cole Anthony that's been on this show like I am. So talk about how you see his, his, his outcome being in Orlando specifically. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'm excited about the pick. It just felt right. It felt good seeing him go at number 15 to the magic. Um, the opportunity is going to be there, right? There, there, I don't think there's any question about that. He, he's going to have the minutes. He's not like, he's not just going to be backing up some, you know, great point guard. Like, say, for instance, if the Celtics had drafted him at 14 and he's just like straight up Kemba's backup or something, right? It's not going to be that role. I don't know if he's going to start. I don't know what's going to happen with Fournier. I would not be surprised if they trade him. I don't think he's mm -hmm. part of their long-term plans. But either way, uh, he, he's going to get minutes. My question is, like, what kind of trajectory does this put him on, right? Like, he's you, he can't be, I don't think, like a pure point guard in this system. Um, is he going to sort of go on like a shooting guard trajectory where like he's more of like an off ball guy, almost like, I don't know, almost like what Iverson was next to Eric snow all those years, like a version Probably. of that. not saying he's going to be Iverson. And I've made this comparison before, but it's like, I do see some similarities in what they can do. And uh, I wonder if he's going to be that, like just a really, almost like a really small two guard that, <laughs> um, that looks more like a point guard, but, 
but plays kind of like this, you know, just this two that, that gets to the hole and it makes tough shots. And because like, I'm, I'm, I can tell that you're a Fultz fan as well. Just by hearing you talk about him. I think, I don't think we've ever even talked about him before, but <laughs> it seems like you like him as well. And uh, Nathan, and, and I, I, I'm a Fultz fan myself. Like I've described him as, as Rue holiday, Drew holiday without the J. Because uh, I think he can do a lot of that stuff, you know. That's a great that, comp. I've never used that comp before, but that that's a great comp. Yeah, yeah. I've I've always kind of seen that, or not always, but since he's been in Orlando, I've seen that. I should say, um, and I, so I I love the two of them together. I think the opportunity is going to be there for Cole. I'm really excited, and I'm just genuinely curious, like what direction does this put him on as an NBA player? I think it's going to be good. He's just the kind of guy that could go either way from, I, I think he's capable of being a lead guard. And I think he's capable of being more like an Iverson next to Eric Snow type of two guard. And I think is, this might be that ladder and I'm excited about it. I heard he's going to wear number 50 in honor of his dad, Greg, which there I absolutely go. love. So I, I'm excited about he's it. He's just and, a good kid, man. He's just yeah, a good kid. Like the best. Yeah. Jake, Jacob, what do you think about Fultz? I don't think we, I, I haven't really right. seen you talk about him. So, well, I don't think really anyone talks about Fultz because he's, he, he's the most bizarre story. I think he's, I can't think of a weirder story, honestly, in NBA history that a jumper just disappears, like without any apparent injury. Like, there's all the conspiracy theories. I actually, I like the Drew Holiday. I think that's kind of the ceiling for him. One that, um, I can't remember if I actually heard it before. One that's always struck me is that he's kind of pre-injury Sean Livingston. Like that's kind of what his absolute ceiling is. I think the kind of what they projected Sean Livingston's ceiling to be when he was coming through. I I like his game. I certainly think if you're playing Cole Anthony, if you're not putting one of them on the bench, Cole Anthony has to play shooting guard because he is the better shooter. He You need to get him mm-hmm. off the ball because faults. I don't know if you can full, totally play faults off the ball. I think he's just, he's too bad of a shooter, certainly at this point, to get him off the ball. And I quite like him on the ball. He can create, he's big, he's good on defense. I do, I like faults. I mean, his, he's, he's capped as his ceiling by the fact that, you know, he shoots in like, there's like a four motion shot to him. <laughs> like, like, it's just the, the most bizarre bizarre thing I've ever seen I like I like the picks I mean I was high on Cole Anthony coming out of high school I remember then kind of gearing up to see the draft content for this year I was shocked by how low he'd fallen and then to listen to yourself Nathan be like I have him number one or I have him you know top three pick in this draft I thought right yeah that's what I thought coming out of high school so why isn't this the consensus why has he fallen to you know top 20 rather than this and I'm still big on his potential I'm more I think I slide towards you I just have the the um the kind of the expert sway that I hear you know all these ESPN you know the ringer all these kind of draft room quote-unquote experts talk about well I don't want to say quote-unquote for someone like Gavoni or you know Mike Schwartz like the the actual experts talk about him and they are so low. I'm like, right, what, what's gone wrong here? What am I missing? You know what I like though? And I just, cause I think you guys will both appreciate that Jacob being that you had him um, that high, you know, last year. And, and Nathan, I know that you do take the high school stuff into stock as, as I do. And like, um, I think it was, it must've been John Hammond 
came out and that was like the first thing he said i think when he was asked about that pick is like he was a top three guy coming out of high school like and that means something to us and as it should and i think that's where a lot of people kind of got lost along the way and evaluating cole anthony is just like you know that 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 has to count it's it has not been that long and like especially with him considering his injury and sort of the nature of that north carolina team he played on it's like you know you, you can only put so much in that. And I think you have to look at what he was before he got to North Carolina, which was a, a top three prospect. If not, not like number one, I, I know I saw him number one on some uh, mock drafts back then. So like that stuff counts. And I, I really think to get him at number 15 in this draft, which is considered by many to be on the weaker side, I, I don't know about that, but it probably is. And I, I think it was a great pick for Orlando. So uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. That, that's going to be a fun team. Like they have absolutely no chance of like making the playoffs in my opinion. I, I hope that they move off of like Busevich and, and Fournier. And, um, I, as I've said many times, Jonathan Isaac is one of my, my favorite players ever. I mean, I, I, it's a bummer what happened to him, but he'll, he'll be coming back eventually. So I'm really excited about where that team can go. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope they make the right moves and either way, I think Cole's going to be a big part of it. Yeah, I'll just I'll say this here. I don't quite think I've made this statement um, on this podcast as frequently as I have in more private circles or even in the overstated Facebook group. I know for a fact I've said this, and I know for a fact that Brett's liked the comment before. Um, <laughs> that people people better get used to evaluating um, guys in terms of like high school and like AAU film because we're about a few years away from the double draft happening um guys being drafted right out of high school again that that's definitely coming down the pipeline so people better get used to doing that um because that's that that, that's at that point the fact that you want to just discredit everything that he did before he stepped on uh, before he stepped foot in north carolina and just wanted to evaluate him on that stretch of games yeah it it doesn't make any sense to me but hey who who am i i'm I'm just i'm just a lowly little scout trying to 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 start his own podcast here right who who am i to really make all these against everyone else so you made a great point though when you were on our podcast about how there's going to be a lot of lessons learned in this draft and, and that was part of it i think and i think in that this could be like a turning point you know with with the way that things are going with the double draft coming up um i do think people are really going to start looking at these things differently and i think you're probably a little bit ahead of the curve on that and that's that's all but i, I really liked when you said that like because i see that too people are going to be like you know change the way they look at these things based on i think this draft in particular uh and, and whether that's cole anthony the number 15 pick um turning out to be a superstar Kawhi leonard was the 15th pick you know like so or or whether it's it's one of these other guys or whether it's one of these guys that were uh evaluated really high that that don't pan out i I just think i think you're absolutely right about that man i kind of see this particular draft as a turning point and which only makes sense considering it's 2020 yeah (laughs) it's sort of i think I, i think you're right that it's a turning point i don't think a lot of people will realize for a few years because from what you know i've been looking at regular season versus playoffs and with this draft trying to watch footage of college basketball i don't think there's ever been a time certainly in recent nba history where there's been such a big difference between college basketball and nba basketball Mm -hmm. and such a big difference between regular season basketball and playoff basketball yeah and i think 
that people are still coming around to the fact that one does not inform the other in in all these directions like we can't take what happens in college as gospel for the nba and we can't take what happens in the regular season as gospel for the playoffs and i think that's becoming more and more true every single year and people are eventually going to take notice i don't know if this is this might be the turning point it's going to take a while for those gears to really turn though i think i i i agree i agree with that sentiment actually wholeheartedly jacob um, and, and I think that that definitely was a nice bow on that whole conversation behind development, as well as different ways to to evaluate players um, from a high school versus college film perspective. So um, we're going to turn our discussion to the last big topic that I wanted to hit on. Yeah, anybody out there listening, you probably knew this was coming. Philadelphia, baby, the hometown team making <laughs> some moves. I, I love every single thing that they did. Um, Jacob, I want to turn to you. I know you, you have to be excited talking about Daryl Morey and, and the, <laughs> the number crunching president of basketball operations over anyone else. I think in the league at this point, Daryl once again, did a fantastic job with, with, with deciding who has what value assigning value to the trades that he was making and then coming back and assigning value and taking a guy who, um, definitely, at least on my big board, should have been drafted at least a few spots higher in Tyrese Maxey. Um, Jacob, I'll start with you. What what were the thoughts, your thoughts, in, in terms of the moves that Daryl made, and, and how do you think this is going to play out both in the short and long term for Philadelphia? So I've been thinking a good way to describe it. I think it's like, you know, like, I'm sure the Simpsons have parodied it, but like goodwill hunting. There's like there's this math problem on the board. All these smart people have tried to figure out for ages. And then just this guy just comes along and just writes four equals four. And everyone's like, oh my God, that's it. <laughs> He's done it. But that's basically what happened in like a few minutes. Daryl Morey came in and this, this team suddenly makes sense. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's baffling how this works. Cause yeah, like you look at the, the picks and it's like Seth Curry, maybe they gave up a bit much for Seth Curry, but he has so much value in this team. I think he could be like what Reddick was for the Philadelphia team in terms of value. Danny Green, I think if he can readjust to what he had kind of before the implosion in the playoffs, great pickup. The Tyrese Maxey looks like a great pickup. It's just, and getting off Horford, it just makes sense now. This team just, I really like it. And I think especially getting rid of the big frontcourt players, because I think ultimately Simmons needs to play the four or the five when Embiid's off the floor and you need maximum spacing around them when they're both on the floor together. And now it just makes so much more sense. Like I think Simmons and Embiid, you couldn't find two top 15, top 20, whatever you rank them players that fit together worse than Simmons and Embiid. But if you do want to fit them together, this is how you do it. And I think Daryl Morey has just shown again why he's one of the best GMs in the entire industry yeah he he i i i i can't wrap my mind around enough the the moves that he was able to pull off and the value he was able to extract from the trades that he did um everyone wants to make a big deal about yeah he got off the the horford contract um and he was able to bring in danny green as well as um terrence ferguson obviously a few wings are going to give them shooting but the seth curry deal really struck me as like man this guy is a wizard in terms mm-hmm. of trades, because Seth Curry was a flamethrower, absolutely lighting the rest of the league on fire last year. 
um, for, for, for Dallas from three. And if you put him next to Simmons and Embiid, two guys who are absolutely um, centers of gravity in their own right, now you're adding such a prolific shooter like Curry, who I think is going to end up being more valuable than what Redick was because of his game on the ball and the fact mm. that he he's not at a loss when he's actually asked to, to dribble and make some decisions off the dribble. Redick's kind of a guy you want to run him off pin downs. You want him to turn, catch, and shoot, or maybe take like one or two dribbles inside the arc and go into a pull-up. I think Curry can do a little more than that, and I think he's a better passer than Redick. So obviously both of them have their own strengths that they have, but I think Curry's going to be more valuable to the Sixers team than even Redick was, and that was probably like the biggest thing um, on draft night, Brett, what else stood out to, to you, or maybe you want to elaborate on a few of those other moves. And then what do you, how do you think Tyrese Max is going to fit with this particular team? I think that's also a really interesting fit. Yeah. I, I mean, if I had to pick one winner of draft night or the last few days, however you want to put it, I would probably say Philly. I mean, and look, the thing with Horford, like, I don't know if they get that done without Daryl. Like, I think that's just, that is straight up Daryl. That's, got Daryl's fingerprints all over it um yeah he had to give up a a couple of draft picks to do it right he had to give up the 34th pick which became Teo Maladon and then a lightly protected uh 2025 first rounder yep uh but you're off of Horford and you got a guy back that can legitimately help you like I, I feel like people like to shit on Danny Green because like he missed a shot or like he had a couple of cold shooting games in the finals but this guy is a back-to-back NBA champion with two different teams and he's been like a starter and a major contributor on both and and he's exactly what Philadelphia needs man like if, if you, all right if you just look at Philadelphia like you know a couple months ago or whatever like and, and you think about their needs right they need shooting all right obviously like that that is above all else that's what they need and and the guy brings in Danny Green and Seth Curry like two excellent shooters and then the other big thing is like getting off some of these uh, bad contracts but namely Horford and he gets off of Horford and and brings in a guy that can help them and he doesn't have to give up too much uh draft pick wise like I thought that was brilliant and uh yeah and Jacob I love how you brought up the um JJ Redick you know when talking about Seth because that's when this sort of incarnation of the Sixers were at their best was when they had JJ Redick like that was a that was like a 50 win team like he Mm -hmm. he that's exactly what they need and I think I think Seth can be that, and and Seth is very affordable. I believe uh, he has three years left at like eight million a year. Yep, yep. Which, that's which exactly is, what the contract is. Yeah, I, I think that's a tremendous value. Like when you're talking about like what some some of these other guys are getting paid or are even like about to get paid. Like I think Seth at eight million is is fantastic. There's obviously a tie-in with Doc Rivers. I'm, I'll assume that's a good thing. Uh, it's his son-in-law, so that that's pretty cool too. But look, I just think that they filled their biggest need uh so far like they just they needed shooters um getting off josh Josh richardson's a nice player but i don't think he was quite what they wanted him to be and i don't think they would have been able to re-sign him next summer anyway uh and and look from the dallas standpoint it makes sense as well because they drafted tyrell terry who's very Mm -hmm. similar to to seth curry yeah and and josh richardson should help them too defensively because that's their biggest weakness i mean it was a good trade both ways but i'm really I, i love that trade for for Philly, and I love that they got off Horford, and then the Maxi pick. Can I interrupt like, you really quick before yeah, you? Yeah, get yeah. Into the no, no, can I interrupt both of you? Oh, Kevin, the newsbreaker, I guess, trumps all of us. No, so. no, no. I'm just so confused right now. So Detroit just signed two different centers. They signed Mason Pum- Pumley 
three years, 25 million, and they just had Okafor too, when they're already loaded at center. What? Jaleel? And they drafted. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they drafted, they drafted Stewart, Stewart. And they traded for um the Den- Utah? Who did they trade for? I forget. Didn't they trade for a center too on draft night? Uh, yeah, did they get Tony Bradley? Yeah, exactly. What they, are they, got, Bradley, they, got right? they got they got Deadman. Yeah, oh. what are they doing? Like, oh, what? How many big men are they doing? Yeah, what? What the fuck? It's, what's going on? I don't know. What's I don't Sorry, know what's going I, on. I have to bring that Detroit's up. Sorry. Weird. Detroit's oh, yeah, getting weird. I have issues. I have issues with them. I I'll just say real quick. I did not like the Isaiah Stewart pick at sixteen. I think I think they essentially wasted that draft pick. Not that I hate him as a player, but I think he was drafted like. Jason Maxiel or like somebody that had um, I, 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 I was not a fan of that. It, it, what were you going to say though, Nathan? I, I was just going to say about Josh Richardson. I never quite thought he was a good fit in, in Philadelphia in terms of what the upside we thought was coming from Miami. But I actually think Tyrese Maxey could be a better Josh Richardson than what Josh Richardson ended up being in Philly. I don't know what your take could possibly yeah. be on that. Yeah. 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 Well, here, here's the thing. Like, and that, that was my impression too, is like, I almost think that they thought, Josh Richardson could be like a pick and roll ball handler, right? Like just based on their roster, it's like, that's what you need, obviously, right? Like you need like a real, I know Ben Simmons, like a quote unquote point guard for them, but he's not really like, cause he can roll. Right. And so I think they wanted like a, um, like a real, like a real guard that could be a ball handler and a pick and roll. And that's just not who Josh Richardson is. Like he just doesn't have that, uh, that ability with the ball. Um, so I, I just don't think he quite lived up to what they wanted him to be, but, yeah, Maxi though at 21, like I, I kind of felt like I was lower on Maxi than most people, and I had him at 19 on my board. So I also thought I was low on him, and, and I had him at, at I believe 16. So well, a lot, yeah. a lot of people had him at you know 10 to 12, and I, yep. I think he I think he would have been a smart pick for Phoenix too. You know, not to get back into that, but like, <laughs> but 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 Ben at, at 21 though, oh, oh my gosh, because he's he could be exactly what they need. In terms of like a just a, a a a real point guard, right? Or like a he can obviously play. I think both backcourt positions, but I think he can definitely be like a pick and roll ball handler. I think he might fill a need. I think he'll probably start off uh, behind Shake Milton. Like Shake Milton's going to be back this season, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, Shake uh, Milton will be back. So I I really think that if you take if you take into account some lineups that you could even play like Shake Millen and Tyrese Maxey together mm. that that would also be incredibly dynamic cuz then you really mm. do have two ball handlers next to maybe like Simmons in the lineup as well and Embiid and as well as Tobias Harris like now, now we're really talking about throwing some funky stuff um offensively and then defensively Maxey isn't a minus i i think that's probably no. the, the biggest strength that i thought he was coming out um, out of college right away in terms of what he's going to do right away in the NBA. I think you and I have agreed on that point on multiple occasions. So um, you certainly don't lose anything there. And and yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, man. I'm just amazed. I'm at a loss for words, quite frankly, looking at the job that, that Daryl Morey did. It, it must be such a relief, like as a Sixers fan and like a Sixers, ex- somebody who really, because just from my standpoint, even it's like, whoa, like, all of a sudden, like this team makes a lot of sense. And, and all it took was a couple of moves, you know, getting off of Horford, bringing in a couple shooters, making a really savvy draft pick at 21. I mean, I think he's an absolute steal at 21, especially um, considering the fit and, you know, their team needs like, so it's just like, just like that, man. And, and I guess that's why you pay Daryl the big bucks, right? 
And, and and the best part, I think, out of all of it is that earlier when we were talking about Jalen Smith and we were talking about free agency and the value of drafting um, need versus what you can potentially get easily in the free agent market, one of the two things Philadelphia needs probably right now to, to finish out the roster, probably a better backup point guard and a backup center that can play behind and bead and not make Norvell Pell have to pay, uh, have to play like a ton of minutes. Did you get him at number 58? <laughs> Paul, Paul Reed you know what I, I, I'm I'm not the biggest like Paul Reed guy I know there are certainly people out there like like Chad Ford and John Hollinger who were bigger on Paul Reed than a lot of other people were but we we might have gotten them at 58 but even bringing in another vet I mean those two areas of need are things that Daryl Morey could could likely fill pretty easily um and in free agency coming up here so yeah it's, it's, it's a job well done can I give you a quick side question though, since you're you're kind of like a, a Philly yeah. guy? Um, so we we keep talking about Daryl Morey, right? Like I I feel like I kind of credit him with all this, and and you mentioned him a couple times. It's like, where does Elton Brand get any credit? Like, how does that work? Like, I, I don't, I'm not even clear on what their exact roles or positions or titles are, but it's like, is Morey just gonna get all the credit, or like, um, it's it's interesting. Or do we do should we give Brand some credit too, or is there just no real way to know like who's who's exactly doing what? I mean, I, I don't have any inside information in terms of how the front office is specifically operating right now, but I'd like to kind of think of it as um, w- when I talk all the time about basketball evaluation and like the process that I have, right? I like to use numbers and any analytical based systems to kind of ask the basketball questions and then defer to the film, um, fit, chemistry, all of those other um, potentially like non quantifiable factors into. Um, the answer of those questions, right? So I kind of see it as you have somebody in place now at the forefront who is one of the best, if not the best, at using data to ask the right questions in terms of what can be answered. And then you have um, basketball guys, um, not to say that Daryl obviously isn't a basketball guy, but like guys who have been around the block and played in the league and and le- le- like Ellen Brand, like Doc Rivers, you have those guys that kind of even out the power structure in Philadelphia now. And I think that was probably my biggest takeaway from the mm. Daryl Morey hiring as a whole was that there's finally balance in the front office. Like for all that Ellen Brain wanted to say last year that we need to get back to evaluating basketball with basketball people, all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. Well, now there's finally balance, right? And I think this is like the perfect harmony and, and the best possible outcome that could have come from the front office moves in Philadelphia. I really like that analogy too. Um, just about the way that you look at evaluation and, and uh, that, that, that's a good, that's a great analogy. And I think there probably is just like a synergy there now. And that that's, it, it sounds like, you know, so far it's been a really good blend. What, what's the ceiling for Philly? What's the ceiling for Philly? You guys can, 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 can Philly finally get back to the finals or, 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 or am I just talking crazy? They're a contender. Look, and the yeah. way I look at the, when I say contender, cause I said this about the warriors the other day that they're still a contender is like, I think there's like eight, right i think there's like four in the west and four in the east mm-hmm. and i think philly is one of the four in the east that i would not be surprised at all if they made the finals i'm not going to say they're the favorites to come out of the east but they are absolutely in the mix and they're in a much better position than they were in last season assuming everybody stays healthy of course jacob yeah yeah i think um certainly when you have Embiid and simmons on your team and now a roster around them which on paper makes so much sense the target has to be the finals when you have two, in my opinion, top 15, top 20 guys in the league, the target should always be the finals. 
and Philly is in that position. I mean, just to roll, just I want to put this to you, Nathan. Out of ESPN puts Philly's starting five as Ben Simmons, Danny Green, Matisse Thybul, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. I cannot believe that there is a team where Danny Green might be the worst kind of back backcourt wing defender in the starting five. That is wild to me. Mm. And that they have Simmons, Tybal, and Embiid are all legitimate, could be all defensive players this year. That's insanity. And when you cool. add with Maury Ball, when you add kind of Maury's analytical style, hopefully giving the offense a good base to build on, they, it could be a force multiplier in Philly. They are, I would put them top two or three right now in the East quite comfortably. Great point. Here- Hey, my, my last point I'll kind of make on, on Philly, and I'll let you guys be the judge of what you guys think about this lineup. Here's what I think the lineup's going to end up being. I think you're going to have Curry, Thibel, and then Tobias, Ben, and Joel. I think that's what the lineup's going to end up being when, it, when it's all said and done. I don't know how you guys think about that combination. That, to me, I feel like that combination of five guys has the highest outcome uh, of any of their possible lineup combinations. Yeah, I agree. If I had to put money on it, I would say that's probably what it's going to be. I, I almost would guarantee that Curry's going to start and and Thibel too. And like as good as Thibel was defensively last season and in college and everything we've seen, like he's only going to get better. I mean, mm-hmm. like I don't think any of us would be shocked if a year from now we were saying he was, you know, maybe like a top one of the. Let me just say it like the premier wing defender in the NBA. Cause I think he's right. I think he could be right up there uh, all defensive level, potentially um, he, he's not far away from that. He's, he's blown me away every time I've watched him in terms of his defense. Uh, it, one other guy too, that we haven't mentioned that they did get back was Terrence Ferguson from OKC. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. A, he's a pretty interesting player. I mean, cause he, he can play some defense too. Like he can, uh, he can do, he can play some point of attack defense and, he's shown potential as a shooter as well. And I just don't think he really got to unleash that in OKC, like in that OKC system over the years, it's been the same way. Like those kind of guys are just going to be abysmally low usage, you know, whether it's like Roberson or whether it's Terrence Ferguson or um, any of those kind of wings that they have basically, like they're just going to have really low usage. Uh, And and, I mean, maybe something could be unlocked with him in Philadelphia. I I have this feeling that he's going to be, a more important part of that team than than we realize obviously as a bench guy but i think if you have him and and maxi coming off the bench and I, is kirk is cork Moss going to be back cork cork Moss will be back um yeah yeah Ter- terrence ferguson is I'll, I'll i'll come out and say it depending on how you view ben simmons if you consider him a wing defender or maybe just kind of like an all-around defensive tool um i don't necessarily consider him like a wing defender but you might um, I would view Terrence Ferguson as the second best wing defender on the team. Um, I think that he can even hit a gear that's that's better than Danny Green at this point. Um, and I think, quite frankly, he might be the best on-ball wing defender that they have as well. Obviously, Thibel does so many things off the ball that are just crazy. You have to watch the film to believe some of the things that he does. Um, but the, the way that Terrence is able to, to, to move his hips and actually contain guys on-ball, yeah. man-to-man, one-on-one, yeah, that that's a unique defensive weapon that you're able to bring off the bench, and obviously any any offensive upside that he adds to the team is only the icing on the cake. 
Um, same thing with Thibault, like however you use him, obviously he's a defensive rover. Him and Ben create one of the best off-ball defensive combos in the entire league. But even his offense, like his 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 catch and shooting, like he, he was not afraid to take any shot for that team last year. He obviously stepped up and hit a bunch of big threes for them. And he was a better catch and shoot three-point guy um, last year in the league than I thought he would be initially coming in. So if he continues to evolve and, and develop in that aspect of all, if he just becomes more efficient, then then we're really talking about um, three potentially lethal catch and shoot guys if, if yeah. Tobias Harris's jump shots back um, next to Simmons and Embiid. So there's no reason to think that Tybal can't turn into a good shooter either. I mean, he, even in the bubble, I mean, his jump shot was looking a lot better and, and um, and yeah, I, I just, I think Ferguson has some potential as a shooter that we just didn't get to see in OKC. And the weird thing with him is he's only 22. Like he doesn't turn 23 until May. Like he's younger than Obi Toppin, I'm pretty sure. Um, so he's still, I think he's still got a lot of untapped upside. And I just think he was kind of an under the radar acquisition that was part of that, that hasn't really been talked about a lot, but, uh, but could really, uh, you know, almost like a second draft kind of situation where it's like, you know, he's he's young enough where he can sort of start over with a new team. And I'm excited about him as well. But hey, man, as a Sixers guy, you've got to be you've got to be stoked with the direction they're headed. Yeah. Once again, they have a lineup of, of potentially 15 guys that, that I that I like all of them. So, <laughs> I mean, depending on what the best combination of all those guys is and how they fit together, I like everybody they have on the team. So they're 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 obviously moving in the right direction. Um, guys, that that that's pretty much going to wrap up the, the show for this week. Any last minute free agency? free agency thoughts that you guys wanted to, to get in before we part ways here. How about some last minute free agency news? There we go. Ooh. Go for it. So we have Dwight Howard coming back to the Lakers, which is impactful to a certain extent. Okay. But we yep. also have a uh, an extension from Deere and Fox. Five-year, $163 million. Yep. Yeah. I got announced in the last minute from my shames. So it's so it's him and, and Halliburton as the backcourt of the future for sure. Um and, and, and Sacro making almost as much as Tobias Harris on that five year contract. Holy that's cow. A big, these, that's a these big these numbers one. are getting huge nowadays. I can't even I can't even <laughs> think about the kind of numbers that are being thrown at these young guys. Oh nowadays. man, I love I love De'Aaron Fox, but I'm like, man, that's a lot of money. Like as he- has yeah. he earned has he earned that? But no, it still feels like a no brainer extension. I mean he's, it he's is. that he's that good. I get it, but wow, wow. Oh. Yeah, you got you got even though i mean how good what's his ceiling like top 10 can he be a top five point guard in the league i mean i don't i don't know if he can be at that i think it's so stacked that maybe top 10's a ceiling in the west as well you're not really making all-star games if you're a top 10 point guard even top five this league, this league is just busting at the seams with talent at this point so it, yeah. it's, it, yeah. it's insane it's, it's unreal unreal I, I actually one little hot it's i don't think it's a hot take but i think the kings are uniquely positioned especially in this year to do the softest hardest tank job because i think because we look we were expecting this year you're going to be playing very much local teams are going to be the bread and butter of this schedule just because of covid because of restrictions conferences are going to be more important and i think divisions within that are going to be more important the king's division is the lakers clippers Suns, and warriors like how many of those games are you winning and how many of those games do you want to win they could easily go you know 15 and 57 this year 
by just playing their young players and just getting them reps. Yeah. Like just playing Bagley at the four, Bagley at the five, getting, giving Halliburton big minutes, you know, running Fox at, on everything. I, I think the Kings are uniquely positioned. And if there is ever a time to do that, it is now in the West and it is in this draft coming up. Yep. And yep. yeah, I, I would I would love to see that. I think there are a few teams that they've got to be thinking like that. I think the Spurs have to be thinking like that as well. I think in the um in the East there's gonna be some teams. I think the Knicks need to be thinking like that because they got the Raptors, Celtics, 76ers and Nets in their division. I think there are some teams that are gonna be ahead of the curve on this and dive straight headlong into the tank this season. Absolutely. I'd love, mm. love to see it. Brett, any last thoughts? No, man. Um, <laughs> I've still got some questions. I'm waiting on that Hayward thing to, to, to go through. That's kind of the one that, that's just in the back of my mind. But uh, <laughs> no, you know, again, just um, there's, there's a few guys I've sort of got my eye on in particular, if we're talking about free agency, that maybe not a lot of people have talked about. And I really mm-hmm. want to see what happens with them. And DeAnthony Melton is one of them yep. of the Grizzlies. He's a restricted free agent. Uh, I think there's going to be a ton of interest for him. And I just wonder how much... Uh, Memphis is willing to match uh, and because I think he could really help a team and I think people forget how young that guy is he's got kind of like this old school game and like he doesn't look particularly young like when you watch him you might think he's like 26 27 but he's only 22 <gasps> and uh, and that's that's really rare for for a free agent so I think he's the guy I'm keeping my eye on I think he could help a ton of teams and then uh, and then as I mentioned earlier Derek Jones Jr. is the yeah. other guy with Miami where I think you could plug him in just about anywhere as like a three could play some small ball four, absolutely. Um, you know, probably one of the most athletic guys in the league, if not the most athletic. Yeah. And he's, he's super young as well. And, and he's unrestricted and he's only 23. You never see that. So like, you know, you could, you could offer him a four year contract and, and at the end of it, he's, he's in his prime he's at 27. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he's a guy that I think somebody's going to invest in, whether it's, I don't know, I don't want to start, naming teams because i think he could fit just about anywhere but uh, i know jacob we had talked about atlanta for him uh he could have been like an interesting stretch for or a small ball four option there maybe dallas Uh, but you could you could put him just about anywhere that that has the money to pay him and i wonder what he's going to command if he's like a mid-level guy maybe like that full mid-level over four years something like that or even more uh so those are kind of the the, my like little my pet free agents that i've got my (laughs) eye on but but i'm interested in the whole thing obviously the christian wood thing with detroit uh how you know do they have enough to bring him back there's there's so many questions and i'm just going to be glued to my phone refreshing stuff and waiting to see what goes down as i'm sure we all are no, those two are great. The DeAnthony Mellon one's a, a sneaky good one to follow mm-hmm. just because of the fact that they nabbed Desmond Bain um, right. at the end of the first round. And uh, to me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you probably feel the same way. I think Bain can do a lot of the same things um, to, a, to to at least some kind of extent that DeAnthony Mellon did Offense, for the Grizzlies. So. Offen- offensively, I think offensively, he can do absolutely, a, a yeah. lot of it. And he's, he's, a, he's a better shooter, but, but similarly intelligent offensively. He's got some limitations defensively like I hate to put too much into wingspan but I think he's got like a, at least a minus one wingspan and and Melton's a fantastic defender but yeah uh, essentially that could make Melton somewhat expendable in their eyes and then you you put him out there and um, I think he's a guy that that could be talked about a lot in, in the coming years that, that a lot of people mm-hmm. don't really know about right now so he's a fun one to keep an eye on um just just to give some extra context and I actually have him now that Dragic has signed he has now shifted up to number two on my point guard free agency list. 
behind there Fred Van Vliet, which just shows you as well how the dearth of point guard talent there is in this free agency. Like someone could, is probably going to overpay for DeAnthony Melton because their other options are like DJ Augustine, Austin Rivers, maybe a Chris Dunn if you're feeling frisky. Like there's really not much here outside of Fred Van Vliet and Melton and Rondo now that Dragic is gone. Can I uh, can I hop in with a little bit of a twist? Yeah, yeah. Dwight Howard has now deleted his tweet and is apparently considering an option with Guangdong Tigers instead. Oh my gosh! <laughs> we, I think we should leave. Can we leave, can we leave it at that? That is so, <laughs> that is so Dwight Howard. That is so perfect, Dwight. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my gosh! What is he pulling like a like, like a meta world piece, just trying to like catch everybody completely off guard, or like? Oh my gosh. That would be no. so fitting. Were you ser- are you serious about that? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, no, no, exactly. Yes, Woj has tweeted <laughs> that he's considering an offer offer from Guangdong. I don't get All it. Right. Why do you tweet that you are staying home with purple and gold and then delete it? Like, because it's Dwight Howard, man. It's this yeah. is the, that it, it, like that sums up Dwight Howard perfectly right there in a nutshell. That is the- <laughs> that, that that sums up twenty twenty. I think that that pretty cleanly wraps up our podcast. I don't oh. even want to go on at that point if that's the kind of news we're going to get. So, oh, can, I, can I quote? Can I quote Worldwide Bob? His last tweet: "Bring back Darko." Hashtag Detroit Pistons. Oh no! Oh, oh no! That's that's the level we're at now. Yeah, we're we're getting we're getting really dark now, man. We're we're, we're getting. <laughs> um, but guys. Thank you so much for coming on the Draft Deeper podcast this week. Um, for everybody out there, please, uh, Brett, Jacob, let 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 my audience know where can they find your work as always. Uh, our podcast is called The Overstated NBA Show. Uh, you can find it on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, um, Stitcher, whatever. It should be on all of those. Check us out. We got new episodes every Monday, and uh, Jacob Jacob does some some more numbers uh, centric podcasts usually every week. We throw bonus episodes in there, so it's worth subscribing if you like our content. We'll be hitting you with all kinds of stuff, and then of course on Facebook we've got the Overstated NBA group where, like you said earlier, Nathan, like we pretty much just talk basketball all day. It's like you know a lot of NBA junkies in there talking, so it's a really good community, and uh, I I suggest everybody um you know join that as well. So. But hey, man, thank you so much for having us on. And thanks again for coming on our podcast, too. I think that was one of the better episodes we've done. Um, your insight was just fantastic with, with the draft and everything. So I uh, can't thank you enough for that. And 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 yeah, man, thanks for thanks for having us on today. This was a lot of fun. This is a great, it's a ton of fun, this episode. And, I'll uh, be back. You guys will be back. It's 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 a wonderful marriage that 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 we're forming here. I absolutely love everything that's going on uh, be between both parties here. So um yeah thank you guys so much for coming on and everyone out there absolutely continue to follow draft deeper on social media at draft deeper on twitter like the facebook page subscribe to the youtube channel um trust me a lot more is coming especially with the 2021 draft class right around the corner um next week i finally get to dig into some actual games that are going on um in terms of like prospect scouting right the college season starting next wednesday so um hopefully i'll I'll be able to, to to start there and and be talking about some some live scouting that I've been able to do. So um, thank you so much, guys, for coming on. As always, to the rest of my audience, have a wonderful rest of your week.